Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Just Two Dads with my co-host and partner, Mr. Sean Francis. I am Brian Altunian, and today's guest uh, brings a wealth of information and uh, runs a program that is so amazing. Everybody in the special needs community needs to know about this program um, because it's, uh, uh, well, I'm not going to even jump into it. I'm going to let, let her get into it. It's going to be a fascinating conversation with Michelle Cox. So uh, hang on for another episode of Just Two Dads. Thank you for being here. All right, awesome. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Just Two Dads. I am, I am Brian Altunian, along with Sean Francis. And uh, before we get into today's conversation, I want to thank a few folks. Thank you for joining us on Facebook Live. We're going to do this on Facebook Live for a, a little bit longer. We're not sure exactly <laughs> how much longer. We only because Facebook continues to change its, uh, its, its, uh, its, its, parameters. its system. Yes, parameters. But uh, what we're doing this on Facebook Live. So if you're here and you want to leave a comment, please do so. Let us know that uh, if you have any questions for our guest or any comments, we'd love to hear about that as well. Um, if you're catching us after the fact on our Just on our Just Your Dad's YouTube channel, welcome. Please subscribe and share with your friends and have them subscribe as well. It just kind of helps our, al- our algorithms as well um, to reach a larger number of folks. If you're hearing us on podcast outlets, wherever you are, again, I hope that you'll reach out to us and let us know if the conversation was of interest to you, or did we miss something, or are we, are there some things that you'd like to hear us talk about? Um, we are at we are just two dads, all one word. We are just two dads at gmail.com. And same with our folks down in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Uh, if you're catching us on WSTX AM radio, uh, welcome. Thank you for listening in, and we hope that uh, that this conversation is as exciting as we believe it's going to be. Sean and I started this about two and a half years ago. And um, started this as a conversation between just two dads, dads of special needs uh, children. Uh, and we are fascinated by the folks who serve this community and amazed at the same time at how challenging it can be to get the word out to, you know, to create some awareness for these programs and for these people. So we decided to have our, our, the conversation that we were having uh, individually and personally uh, to involve those folks that were doing great things. And for two and a half years, I think we're at episode 125 now. It has been um, it has been an amazing journey. Uh, we couldn't have done this without Sean Hall in Hawaii, who does all of our graphics and keeps us in line and <laughs> keeps us moving forward. So thank you, everybody. And, and last, I'll say Billy Footwear has been one of our guests and one of our sponsors to our program. Uh, Billy Footwear creates adaptive footwear for folks with physical uh, issues, and uh, Billy Footwear is an amazing uh, company with uh, founder with an amazing story, and they've sold over a million pairs of shoes. And um, we should uh, we we want to acknowledge Billy uh, for his participation and his uh, and, and again his amazing story of overcoming adversity. So, without further ado, thank you everybody, and we're really excited to be talking to our guest. Miss Shelly Cox. Before we do that and get into that, I'm just going to throw it over to Sean Francis, say hello, and and do a little intro for Shelly, and let's get rolling. Uh, let's do, do just that. And I'm happy to be here, as always. So thankful for the platform that we have, whether you're tuning in live on Facebook or after the fact, on any podcast uh, platform, wherever you get podcasts, as well as WSX AM radio. Um, and, um, you know, our guest today, it's funny, I, I have a question that popped into my head as a result of a 
a conversation on social media. But before I get into the question with her and our conversation, I want to give her the proper recognition. This is a woman who is well credentialed. Um, and, you know, someone that is well credentialed, on one hand, that means something because you've taken the time to um, get a bunch of degrees. And in her case, so I have to read this out because it's, it, it, it's, it's lengthy. Okay. So, you know, it's just really, so we're talking about, um, oh my gosh, where is it? I had it all here in her bio. Um, but we're talking about taking the time to get credentialed in, okay, an MA in counseling, an MS in psychology with a specialty in pre and perinatal psychology and health. And she's recently completed her doctoral work, um, coursework in clinical psychology. Now, that's impressive, but pales in comparison to what she's done with those credentials. And what she's done is um, she's started a, a business that provides uh, therapy. She's even got a uh, an actual program that she's created for that. And some of that comes from the fact that her family's her strength. She is a uh, a mother and a wife, and uh, one of her daughters has cerebral, uh, cerebral palsy. And at th that point alone, you can decide, I'm going to be an advocate and be as helpful for my child as I possibly can be. You speak for, for those who can't speak as loud for themselves or not at all. But she's taking that to an even further level. And so that is what we're going to talk about today. And welcome, Shelly Cox. Thank you. Thank you. And, and just a, a sideline, I didn't realize that Billy was one of your sponsors, but we and many of my clients use their shoes. So Love it. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> That's fantastic. And, and on the screen, we'll, we'll, we'll have a, a link where you can get a discount uh, when you, you know, uh, purchase shoes from, from Billy Footwear. And so, yeah. Shelly, ordinarily, I'm going to do a little out of order here. What I usually would do is I would say, you know, you probably don't see yourself as a hero, someone that just does what it is that comes natural for you, the love of your child and the way that you care about other people. Um, but we're here to tell you that you're incorrect. You are in fact a hero and all superheroes have an origin and the origin is where one's powers come from. But I want to ask you something um, before you get into your origin. I want to ask your opinion on something because I, 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 I didn't get into, but witnessed the conversation on Facebook uh, last night. So someone that I'm connected with on Facebook says, um, I need, uh, does anyone know um, a special, you know, uh, uh, an attorney who do, who would do a special needs trust? And people start commenting and they check this person, check this resource, check with this person. And this person who happens to be a friend of hers, because I looked at who they were, they're a friend, but I don't know if they're a member of the special needs community. And the first thing they said was, you know, that term special needs, that's the equivalent to using the N-word or using so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And they went down the line. And one of the things I try to pride myself on doing going into the new year is picking and choosing the conversations that I engage in on social media, especially ones where I can't change the outcome and I'm not going to learn anything and the other person isn't going to as well. But I had to just comment and said, you know, there are some people within the community that have diagnoses or quote unquote disabilities that are okay with that term while others are not. And then somebody has said, you never answered her question. You, you, you didn't help her with what she was trying to find. And this person went down a whole rabbit hole of like, well, who came up with that definition? So I'm going to ask you just out of curiosity, and I'll probably ask each of our guests going forward, because I think it's important to speak a person's language. We'll talk and about be, it all for sure. Yeah, we, all, we always do. And there's people who I will ask, you know, what do you prefer? And I think we're, I'm going to, you know, we're going to do that going forward. 
where are you with the term? Because my my son, if you ask him what he prefers, his level of cognition is not where he's going to. I don't like that term. I'm I'm not sure if he understands what autism even actually means. Where do you stand on the use of the term special needs or whatever term is used to describe your child or your, or, or your client? That's a really good question. And I think that one of the things to keep in mind is one of the things you just said was we want to think in purple, purple people first language as often as we possibly can. Mm -hmm. So I oftentimes will, if I'm talking about a specific disability, I'm going to talk about that disability that I need to do. Um, in other words, if it's cerebral palsy or if it's autism, and if for children who have a diagnosis of not autistic children, so right. not, not a cerebral palsy child or a Down syndrome child, I'm going to talk about somebody who has that specific need, and that's why I need that specific service. Mm, and I okay. think one of the things um, in California that's going on right now is the um, uh, the whole person center plan. I think it, it's going on throughout the nation, but I'm most aware about what it's going on in California is the person centered planning. And it's all about keeping things in the language that people want to be referred to. So even with all of the different labels that we're dealing with, um, uh, whether it's sexual identity or disability or anything else, what I'm trying to do, because I'm not young anymore, so I, it's really, I don't move as fast as my kids do. I've decided that rather than identifying somebody by her or him, the person with the disability or whatever, I'm just going to call them by name, you know, and that way I'm saying, you know, Sean, um, what is it that you need? How, how would you like me to refer to you in the future? Um, there you, go. you know, Brian, what's going on in your life um, that you may need this particular service? And like your son, Sean, may say something like, I, um, I, I don't care. You know, it's not something that is important to me what you call me, but, you know, be respectful mm -hmm. of me, treat me with dignity and respect no matter what. Right, right. That goes back to everything we said when we talk about questions being more powerful um, than answers uh, or than yes. statements. And and again, uh, an attempt to be more childlike and less childish. So let's yes. get back to the superpowers that make you the hero that you are. So tell us about, you know, where you're from, how you were raised, because those things not only dictate how we deal with life going forth, but especially how we deal with something such as a diagnosis of our child. Because like we always say, there's this mourning that takes place when a diagnosis comes about, because you're, you're mourning the child that you thought you were going to have and hopefully then getting to the point where you look forward to the child you now have and the adult that they will become. So let's start with that. Okay. Well, you know, who knows, you know, when you're, when you're a kid yourself, you don't have any idea what is going to happen in your life. You don't even know, you know, what your parents' dreams may have been for you and then what you became maybe what they wanted or what they didn't, you know, have any expectation of. My um, going into, you know, having my first child, Christina, who's now 39 years old, um, was, um, you know, what every other parent thinks of, oh, she's going to be a ballerina, or she's going to go to college, and she's going to, you know, marry somebody that just fits all of my criteria, because it's my dream. And um, when she was born, um, the very first thing that happened was, um, 
she was considered stillborn and the doctor Ooh. the doctor freaked out and he was like oh no 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 he was a very young doctor and he had never lost a baby before so he went to work on her and um and it took him a long time but he revived her and then she was life flighted to another hospital we were in san diego at this time so i'm in one hospital she's in another hospital and i'm like oh my god probably the best thing that ever happened to me during that time and this is just a, a parental um acknowledgement of love is my mother came in and she goes the baby's going to be taken care of by everybody else and i'm here to take care of my baby that was something that, you know, was, um, you know, so powerful to me that um, she stayed there with me and everybody else was down at the other hospital taking care of Christina. She coded three times that night. So she actually died three times that night and they brought her back um, and they said she's basically going to, you know, not have any skills. She's got severe brain damage. She's not going to be able to function. We don't really think that there's much hope. And um, uh, so I was like, oh, you know, here I am in one hospital and she's in the other. So the first night they were like her, her blood gases were low. They just didn't think she was going to make it. And um, the next day, um, she was surrounded by people that loved us and loved all of our friends. Everybody was down at the hospital and it was just an amazing support network. Um, she, re her blood gases turned around and she started to revive and she was in the NICU, the NICU um, for two weeks. And then she came home. When she came home, she was hearing impaired. They said she was very, very developmentally delayed. She couldn't eat or anything else like that. So my advocacy journey started right then because I wasn't sure what this meant for me. And all of a sudden, as you said, your life changes overnight. What was my dream going to be? What was it going to look like? Um, I was so incredibly fortunate to have a, uh, an agency that was in San Diego and it was called the Hope Infant Family Support Program. Mm -hmm. And they, the first thing they did is send a parent, another parent to my house, just to be there, to sit there and listen to me and just be another parent. Probably one of the most powerful experiences I've ever, ever had. Um, and then they started to say, okay, well, what is it that you need? And so they set me up with the, the programs, the early intervention programs. I, it was the most incredible experience for us. Um, fast forward, I decided that was what I wanted to do <laughs> when I when I got through you know through the dust you know sure. through the fog and all of that. Yeah, get that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, I, that's what. Are they I'm still at. are they still around? Is that is that is that? They are. They're still in San Diego. They're called the Hope Family um, Support uh, Family Support Program, and they're through the San Diego County Office of Education. So um, it was just, but at that time, it was a pilot program. It didn't really. It was not a. Uh, uh, recognize there was no services for um, infants and toddlers except for these pilot programs and there were three across the state. So going forward I went to work for them um, and um, that's when you know I went back because my degree was in fashion merchandising um, my first my first degree so I didn't even put that on my resume because I wasn't even <laughs> going in that direction at all. 
So um, that's when I went back and, and got my my first um, my bachelor's degree in um, in early childhood development with an emphasis in working with special populations, and then went to work for them as an infant um, infant specialist and just absolutely adored working with babies and families and being able to share my story as well. So I br really brought the parent perspective into it, which was um, incredibly important. And still, I still consider myself a parent advocate on top of being a professional advocate. So we, um, the, yeah, the director, yeah, the director of the program, um, Virginia McDonald, saw something in me and she said, I want you to go represent families in California at the State Interagency Coordinating Council, which was developing the intervention, early intervention programs across the state of California. So I was appointed by the governor to sit on this council and it was a really incredible uh, learning experience, both positive and negative. Working in, in government is not fun, but- <laughs> Easy, for sure. And and trying to please the governor at that time, you know. Uh, but anyway, in the eighties, was it? It was Dumasian at the time. Yeah, okay. okay, right. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> that was so long ago. Yeah. But the cool thing was, I got to meet with people, the movers and shakers across the state and actually across the nation, who were developing these programs for infants and toddlers and families um, who had diagnosis or may have just been at risk at the time. And um, so I did that for a number of years and got involved from both the state and, and national point of view and became really involved in developing family resource centers across the state of California. So at that time, we had started 47 family resource centers, which were made up of parents who were there available for other parents when they got a diagnosis or, or came home with a premature baby or whatever it happened to be. And prior to that, Shelley, there were no regional centers established? No, regional centers existed, but they didn't serve really the, the birth to three population. They were really a three, mm. 21, and then 21 and above Interesting. With, with specific disabilities. So they would only do, it had to be a specific disability of autism, um, Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, epilepsy, or mental retardation. Right. Wow. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and and autism at that time, if you guys recall, was not known. It wasn't not well diagnosed for sure, right? I mean, yeah, the diagnosis was it was a very small population that was being diagnosed with um, autism at that time. Right. Yeah. So it's it's been um, it's been quite a journey to watch these these programs grow. Well, okay. Now some personal stuff. So in, I, I was still in San Diego and then the big fire, the Calabasas Topanga fire happened and my parents' house burned down. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so my parents were getting up there and they said, okay, here, you come take the house, you rebuild it and it's yours. And so we were like, okay, um, here we have this daughter who has cerebral palsy, who uses a wheelchair, and we're gonna move up to LA and live in a trailer on the property and rebuild this house. So I'm like, okay, 
all right, we can do this. Um, you know, and so I moved on from San Diego. I still keep in touch with these people. They're amazing people. I consider them my muses, my mentors, just mm -hmm. people that really helped me survive that very early time with Christina. So I come up to LA and I go to the, the local school and I say, okay, well, um, we're coming in and my kids need to start school here and I need to make sure that the school is accessible. And so our home school was on tiers and was all stairs. Mm. And the, so this is where some of my advocacy work comes in. And they were getting, it was when the ADA was relatively new and they were saying, okay, we need to upgrade all these schools, but we're going to do this one in Santa Monica first because it's just first on the list. And I said, yeah, but my school's in Malibu and that's where we need to go to school. And so I did a lot of work. You don't need to know the details of it. <laughs> and they, but you had worked with government. so <laughs> It switched over. And by the time we started in school, the ramps were in, which was an incredible experience. However, <laughs> I guess I, when I'm thinking about this, it's just, it's so interesting and intense to me that I actually am still standing on two feet. But so, um, I'm sorry, what was that window about? So you're begin, about to begin the school year. There's no accessibility. And what month is that? Well, so we came up in February and um, and they immediately had switched over to do the school. So by June, the ramps were in. I don't know how they did it so fast. I have, I think that they just thought, okay, well, there's not really a need at this school and there is a need at this school. They were right. proactive. They were just really incredibly proactive. So we start the school, and one of the things that um, that my daughter would do, and my other daughter, who is um, uh, younger than her, three years younger than her, was also in the same school, and she she would get a jump uh, a jump rope, and and tie it on the back of Christina's chair, and they would pretend that she was a horse and cart, and they were like a chariot race, and so they so she was really doing a lot of inclusion stuff. I didn't know about it at the time. It wasn't safe. We all got in trouble because, you know, safety and stuff like that. But it was really fun. But mm -hmm. one of the sad things that happened was one day I was driving up to the school to drop her off. And um, a little five or six-year-old came up to me and said, my mommy said that the reason she's like that is because you took drugs. Oh, my gosh. And it took everything in my heart and soul not to pick up the child and throw her over the fence. <laughs> Only kidding. Um, uh, I just, I got down on her level and I said, you know what? It's really, really important never, never to do drugs because bad things can happen. But that's not how this happened for Christina. And, um, and I left it at that. I didn't hear anything back from anybody about that. I felt like I planted a seed that needed to be planted and I could have been hurt. I could have been really nasty, but I just decided that, you know, I just needed to confirm that doing drugs is bad, but that let her know that that's not how this good happened. Choice, good choice for you. And here's the innocence in that moment. Yeah. And the purity that kid's mom probably, and we were giving credit where it isn't due, probably <laughs> didn't say that with the intention for them to go repeat it. They just heard it. And said, "Well, my mom said, blah blah blah. Not my mom meant my mom. My mom thought. Just telling you exactly what was done, what was said. An assumption was made, and yeah. you know, 
our words are so powerful and our kids just they soak those things up. They really are. Um, I've, I've really, really encouraged independence as much as possible, inclusion. She was in um, an included class in school from the time that she was um, in preschool all the way through high school. Um, I really, um, really emphasized the social emotional component for her. Um, we recognized very early that her developmental delay was pretty significant and that, you know, normal reading, writing, math, and science was not going to be her path to success. But I have a, I have a theory in life that, um, good, bad, or in between, if you can BS your way through life, you're better off than if you can um, uh, do math without a calculator. Um, <laughs> That's so true, though. <laughs> So, um, you know, so we really, really, really emphasize inclusion and being around, um, you know, uh, neurotypical, which wasn't the term at that time, um, right, individuals right, right. who um, uh, taught her both positive and negative behaviors. So mm -hmm. one instance we had was she was at the park one day and a little boy came up to her. I'll take credit for this. Um, she, he said, you, 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 you wheelchair girl. Oh. And, and she whipped her wheelchair around. And she said, you butthead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. But to me, her response was so perfectly, typically appropriate that I couldn't get mad at her for saying that to him. But I had, I did say, you know, you know, don't call people buttheads. <laughs> but, um, but the fact that she could is what matters though. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was it was so incredibly wonderful for her to be able to initiate that and to be yeah. able to do that. And where did she get that? Probably from her brother or sister, um, maybe from some kids at school. But that's what kids do, and that's, that's I wanted her to be able to to do that and um, and get in trouble for it a little bit. You know, it's not okay to do that, but you know, you got to have something to get in trouble for to do that. Right, mm -hmm. for sure. <laughs> and, so, and you've mentioned, Shelly, so you have two other children? Yes. And so they're younger. They're younger. She was my oldest. And then I had Kimberly, who, funny story, and Kimberly remembers this. She's my middle child, and she's everything about what you, the epitome of a middle child. That's me. You're the middle child, too, so you understand. But when they were babies, when Chrissy, Chrissy couldn't really crawl very well. So she used her head. She would put her head on the ground and crawl across to give her like an extra support. Yeah. So when Kimberly learned how to crawl, that's how she crawled when she was a crawler. So and then later on, she said, oh, that's not how you're supposed to do it. <laughs> wow. That's funny. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. And then my son is, uh, and she, they both have worked in the business a number of years. Um, Kimberly, I haven't even talked about the business yet, but um, Kimberly left, um, left the business is now uh, uh, an MFT um, in private practice. And it happens to be, she specializes in working with special populations as well, because she can't, people know her for that. So she's very, um, very good at working with Beautiful. kids and families. Wow. Um, Beautiful. That's fantastic. So at, at, at this point, um, where are you? In, where are we at this point in terms of your your career and your, and, and your work? And okay. deciding to set up stuff. Yeah. Up. So so now I worked for a couple of other people. I, I started three family resource centers up in LA. Um, with mm -hmm. I collaborated with them to get things going, 
And then I decided I wanted to start my own program. And so um, in 1998, um, I, uh, I decided I'm just going to work with infants and toddlers and just be a private practitioner. Um, and that lasted for about three months until I had so many clients, I needed to hire people to work with me. Um, and yeah, that's a good problem. I mean, I worked out of my home at first and then we had a small place and a bigger place and a bigger place. And then we go, I said, oh my gosh, this is too big. I can't, uh, I don't, I, I need to know all the families and children that I'm working with. So then I downsized a little bit mm. and then COVID hit and we everybody downsized. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you've been looking on your side. I mean, you have a pretty significant staff and therapists. Yeah, we do. I mean, now, you know, we started out, some of my staff have been with me since the very beginning. So they've been with me almost 25 years, which is pretty incredible. And then, um, in, and then we're bringing in new staff all the time, you know, and we're growing. What One of the things, um, I, I know I'm kind of going back and forth in my history. Okay. That's, I hope okay. I'm following. No, okay. Um, I, uh, to answer your question, um, I went back in... 2005 to go get my uh, my doctorate. I, my purpose was to get my doctorate in pre and perinatal psychology because I really that's my love. That's my first love is being with infants and toddlers and their families and being able to just really support them. Um, and so and I loved it. It was the most incredible program that I have ever done. It was not the young 22 year olds that go to college. It was people in their 30s and 40s and and um, uh, it was a program called the Santa Barbara Graduate Institute. And it was a program where we went up. I tell you this because you guys will understand this. Um, we would go up for four days once a month and we'd all camp out at the beach. So I felt like I was, you know, so I had my little motor home and we would camp at the beach and I had the mothership. And it was just, it was, it was like my midlife crisis. It was heaven. We <laughs> And our time at the beach when we weren't in class, and we were a bunch of old fogies doing that. So that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> that, but so that's when I I did that. And it was just a really, really incredibly rich program um, that I gained so much from. And that's when I developed the um, edutherapy um, practice. Um, so I I brought. Um, I'm sorry if I'm out of order because I took notes and everything, but I'm not following. <laughs> That's um, okay. Uh, That's typical what, for what happened in um, in the in the early two thousands was when the um, insurance companies started taking over paying for some services for individuals who had diagnosis of autism for behavior mm -hmm. intervention services, and that's one of the services that we provided. But we didn't provide a traditional um, applied behavior analysis. Um, uh, service. It was more of a relationship based, which was based on my early childhood experience and a mental health approach versus a scientific behavioral approach. And so we were really struggling with what does that look like for families and what, what methodology is the best for families and really discovered that one size does not fit all. And right. being, able, being able to offer a a hybrid approach of relationship-based intervention, which provided the family support and training and play-based intervention for younger children, 
but actually for all ages, because we all need to know how to play. And then also bringing in the scientific approach of the applied behavioral analysis, which gave us a methodology to measure, um, which is what the insurance companies wanted, was you know, right. how are you gaining skills or are you not gaining skills? And do we continue to pay for this or do we not? You know, is what it really right. comes down to. So we really developed this. Um, actually, I developed it. I try to give credit where credit is due. It's not my invention. It's all the basic theorists in relationship and mental health therapies going all the way back to Freud um, and all of the um, uh, behavioral um, Skinner and Lovas and all those people that developed the scientific uh, behavioral approach. How do we bring those together to make sure that we're providing a comprehensive service to families? So if you're, if you're an infant or if you're an adult, you're going to get a hybrid approach from us because it's going to depend on what your needs are as an individual and mm -hmm. the culture of the family, the culture of the child. And I'm not just talking about heritage. I'm talking about individual culture. Two, right. two people come together, a mother and father are coming from different parenting styles, from different cultural styles. How does how do they blend that, and then how do we support what works within their culture to mm -hmm. their child or um, youth or adults specific needs? Yeah, let me ask you something. You mentioned sure. Freud, and I just had something pop into my head that I've never thought to ask any well credentialed guest before. So it's one thing to have a practical experience; it's one thing to ha um, another thing to have um, credential. Um, you know, background. It's another thing altogether to have both. You have both. So let me ask you this, since you mentioned Freud, you know, he's the he, the father of, you know, psychology and all these things. And you mentioned, obviously, Dr. Lovis as well. In the, in the, the field of um, special needs, special education, between terms and diagnosis and everything, we've seen just in the last 10 years, how things evolve and certain things that were once, just like other fields, you know, um, the law of the land and widely accepted now seem absurd and crazy. How much, in your opinion, do the practices, theories, and beliefs of quote unquote pioneers going that far back still hold true today versus some that are just some of the notions that are just, you know, tired and outdated? What, what, what's your yeah. thought on that? Well, I, I think that there's a foundation that started, I mean, I use Freud because he's the early pioneer, but there's a lot of early pioneers as well that um, contradict Freud's um, theories and, and basis. Sure. And, and that's okay. Um, I think mm -hmm. one of the things to keep in mind is we, and I'm a big history buff. I just think that, you know, it's the whole thing. If you don't pay attention to history, you're doomed to repeat it. And I think um. we've learned things from everybody along the way but I think the foundation of the early pioneers was what we now look at as kind of immature, mm -hmm. but was what was then. And without it, we couldn't build to what we have now. And even when you look at uh, Piaget or Maslow or any of the other theorists that we're talking mm -hmm. about, um, they all contribute something. So some people say that when you're a generalist, you, you don't specialize in anything. But in my opinion, the, the work that we do with families and children needs to be tailored to them. Sure. And so 
being a generalist, um, I may not be the, uh, the greatest cognitive therapist in the whole wide world, but I know about cognitive based therapy and how that will, how I can approach it. If I need to know more, I'm going to go out and learn more too. And, and that's, and that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's fantastic because I, I think there's so much to learn from everything you've just said, even outside of the special needs realm. It's a whole other subject that we could spend several shows, several episodes on it. But when you talk about the manner in which they're trying to change what our children learn and how we learn, especially as it relates to history and historical things, there's so much value in knowing those things and having an appreciation for where you are. And then when you get back to people that are purists, regardless of what the topic is, you you gave an answer I was hoping for, which is like, look, certain certain ways of thinking from these great pioneers might be outdated, but they not only made the most out of what they had at that point in time, and it was an innovation at that point in time, but without that innovation um, and, and those views, we couldn't get to where we are today anyway. So what we what's behind us is so important for us to know where it is that we're going, regardless of what the, what the subject is. You were going to say something, Brian. No, I was a, as a psych major, uh, I, I studied all of those. Yeah, so you know what? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. But and you don't need to to know it all. You, you no. need what you need to know is how to find out it all. Um, and and I was going to say something about language too. Something that you had had said triggered something in my brain. Um, is that um, you know in the olden days, back in times of Freud and things. They called people who had diagnosis, or they didn't even have diagnosis of disability, they just called them idiots, village mm -hmm. idiots. They called them imbeciles, um, things like that. Um, and at that time, it was a label, but it wasn't intended to be derogatory. Much, yeah. much like mental retardation to which this is a, is a precursor, yeah. Exactly, so I mean, we change our language in all aspects of our life. And I think that's mm -hmm. something that we're struggling with in our society right now is you got to be so careful not to say anything wrong or somebody's going to be offended. And I think that um, that now, you know, we're like you said, uh, somebody was offended by special needs population. Would they have preferred intellectual disability? Would they have preferred what, what do you want to be called? And I think that the key has got to be factual, unbiased, mm -hmm. and supportive. So that when I'm talking about my daughter, Christina, I'm talking about really the incredible uh, woman that she is and how she's conquered so many different um, struggles in her life. And she uses a power wheelchair and she has cerebral palsy and, and, mm -hmm. and whatever she is. And when she's pissed off and she slams the door, the whole house rattles because she uses <laughs> a wheelchair like her hips. And if you can imagine a teenage girl, because that's kind of somewhat what she acts like sometimes, is she'll do this swivel thing with her hips and the door slams and the whole house rattles. Well, you know, that's not okay, but it is the way that she's expressing some emotion too. So, you know. Yeah. And there's several things there too, because one is, you know, we talk about words that people use that are one time inappropriate and everything. So when it comes to you know, you don't make an excuse for racism, ableism, sexism, or anything like that. But when someone comes from a, from a place that is not 
inclusive of others. Again, we go back to a question, why do they think that? What is their experience? And we have to allow someone the opportunity to grow from where they are. Now, if someone's not going to change and they actually have you know evil in their heart, so be it. But we're all the sum total of our experience. The other thing I wanted to comment on is when you talk about Christina's behavior and that which is, you know, not the most, uh, what, uh, pleasant or preferred, but appropriate. Like the first time, um, my son doesn't walk around cursing, so I don't want anybody to get the impression that that's what takes place. But the first, but he has on occasion and might, especially with stuff he sees on YouTube. And the first time that he, that he did, it was like, okay, you're on the fence between, we don't use that word, but my gosh, you use that appropriately, and I'm not sure how, but you know, so you're joy out of when somebody, I mean, some of those words that we don't want people to use Mm -hmm. actually have so much impact on your feeling. It's like when you use the F-bomb and if you use it appropriately, it's a visceral experience. It's like if you stubbed your toe or you know, you really hurt yourself and you, um, it actually, it actually has a physiological effect on you as well. And mm-hmm. it's appropriate. Whereas if it's just the, mm, 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 just saying it every other word, it's a different story. And that, you know, we have people that do that too. <laughs> right, Listen, right. Even, even as adults, Sean and I share the experience we know when we're, because we are on a lot of calls together, we do things when we use a word to describe some somebody we use a word regularly we wouldn't say it necessarily aloud but it's with your point this we laugh it's, it's appropriate it's appropriate and, it, and it's, it, it explains things and it's like okay am i the parent and the teacher now or am i the observer of behavior and taking a little bit of uh joy out of the fact that this like when Christina said the kid was a butthead. I mean, for me, that was just like so powerful Mm -hmm. and putting him in his place. And as a mom, I couldn't be more proud, you know, and then, you know, it's funny because used in that context. And if you call somebody a butthead on on a going forward basis, it is, you could say, look, we use that term to, to put somebody in their place, right? Not, they're not, we're not calling them something derogatorily. We're just saying like, Oh, that person's acting like a butthead, which is we've defined as, the mm-hmm. person needs to be put in their place, right? Well, it's like, you're like, okay, that's totally appropriate because in one word, yeah. boop, that's covered. You know? <laughs> like I had, well, we, whenever we go out in public, and my wife has asked me if I told this story, and I keep forgetting to share this with Elijah's teachers, and they get credit for it. So <laughs> when we go someplace, we're out and about, He's he may biologically need to use the restroom, but whether he does it, he likes going. And I'll tell you, sometimes I'll tell you the gallons per flush and by brand and all kind of stuff. Yeah. So, and has to do that stuff for sure. He, and he, get, he gets that from YouTube. He's like the Kohler, you know, 2000 gallons per flush, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay. And, but when we go, and F, again, I have to practice what I preach. I allow people to grow. So, what would happen is when we would go someplace, he'd use the restroom. And as he uses it, we have to be the last per- people in that restroom. Because what he needs to do when he's done, and I mean done, like wash his hands in the whole nine yards, he needs to flush every single one in there. And what he would do is he would be like, no, we got to wait till people go. And I'd have to look at people and be like, 
he's on the autism spectrum. He wants to flush every last one of them. We're not trying to creep you out. And, you know, explain that. So now he's evolved where he won't necessarily always wait for the last one. But we went to this restaurant like two weeks ago and we go in and he's he accepts that there's a guy in one stall. So he's not going to flush that one when he's done. Well, let's just say the guy is in the stall making quite a ruckus, right? <laughs> and as we walk in, we're in the stall next to him and with no filter at all. He goes, oh, my gosh, Daddy, that's disgusting. It's so stink. He's pooping in the toilet. And I was like, shh, shh, shh. The guy's like right next door. And I know the guy can hear. I was like, now we need to hurry up and finish and get out of here because all he's seen is our shoes. We, I, I don't want him to come out. know our face. We've got to go. And he's like, yes, yes, we have to go. It stinks in here. He just says it like it is. But you know what? Beautiful. That is beautiful, though. It's so beautiful. It is. It it is. is. It's normal for us as parents to go, oh, my God, I am mortified, you know, but I'm. Yet but I'm we letting... think, yet we think those things. The same thing. We're going, oh, my gosh, this guy. <laughs> and one of his, one of his, one of his classmates, the mom told me that, you know, they were out and about and, you know, he said, the kid said to his mom, he's like, he says to his mom, that's a lady, right? And she's like, shh, shh, yes. And then he says out loud, why does she have a mustache? <laughs> the, and the lady was the lady was not accepting of any kind of apology. She was just like, Stop. yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. What are you gonna do? Yeah. Well, what are you gonna do? I mean, what are you gonna do? I mean, we're you know the, the when when a child is like three or under, you go. Who cares? But when they're 16, 17 or above, you kind of go, people aren't going to understand necessarily their um, their response. And for us, to, I, I don't I don't necessarily want to say, well, he's autistic. So this is why he does this, because then that that puts him in a place when he's just very expressive. Mm -hmm. He's just expressive. He's expressing the truth. The truth is yeah. and you have a mustache. That's fine. Lovely mustache. Yeah. Yeah. Comb it or take care of it. One of the two. Yeah. <laughs> Kelly, where is your uh, where is step by step? Where is it located? Your, so your we're step? we're located in West LA, um, at, at between Barrington and um, Olympic. Okay, so, beautiful. Oh, yeah. So uh, yeah. So, but we don't do all of our business here. I would. That was my next thing. My next. Yeah. Question. So and we're Tell actually. Us about that. Well, there's a couple of things. So I'm going to put out something because I think it's important people people to know about the home and community-based legislation that's recently passed. Well, it's, it's actually passed a long time ago, but it's being implemented right now. And that is a law that states that individuals who are clients of regional center mm -hmm. um, need to have choice about who, what, where, and what kinds of activities they're doing, who they want to be with, where they want to do them, when they want to do them, and they need to have the opportunity to have full access to their community and the ability to be included in anything that they choose to be included in. And so what is the law? The, the, it's called the Home and Community-Based Services Act, mm. HCBS. And so all programs that provide okay. services, go ahead. Did you, did you I know, I love this, I love this. this well, it's, it's good, there's some challenges with it because some individuals really need intensive supports 
but that's a whole different ball game you can go off on. But so our push has been to be able to provide services more in a community-based setting. So we do have a center and we provide the babies, the early intervention services here, and we have social skills classes on Saturdays and weekdays. And we do provide some behavior intervention where we can use all of our equipment because we have a full gym of um, climbing structures and um, uh, trampoline and mats and the whole nine yards where we can work on sensory integration and things like that. But our goal has been to get out in the community. So we started with our adults and our adults are fully out in the community. They decide as a group what they're going to do, where they're going to do it, and the whole ball of wax. But they are learning how to negotiate because not everybody wants to do the same thing. And if you're in a group of six people For and sure. you want to go to McDonald's, but two people don't want to go to McDonald's, how are you going to negotiate that? How are you going to figure that out? Those are real life situations mm -hmm. when you have a group of adults that want to hang out together and they want, but they want different things. So we're really supporting that. And same with our teenagers. So our teenagers have been, they've been like so like-minded. It's been, I've been trying to throw them curveballs because I want them to work on negotiation. But they like, they walk down the street, get on the train, they go down to the third street promenade, they go get a smoothie. I mean, they, but that's what they want to do. So now I'm saying, okay, well, the train train's not available today. How are you going to get there? You know, and so mm. they have to figure that out. And so we're working on things like that with them. We're just starting with our elementary school kids, getting them out in the community. So we're doing that one time a month um, and then two times a month. And then we're, our hope is to get them out in the community. The little guys, we're keeping inside because that's kind of the, the parents still get to make the choice for that at that point. Of course. Yeah. But it, it so, really, go ahead. I know. So outside of the Southern California area, because we're all based in Southern California, but for those who want to take advantage. Are there other, are there online programs and classes? Are there, is there some stuff online that you provide? We do, yeah. And and actually we do a lot of, uh, we'll do the Zoom classes. Like anybody that doesn't um, want to come in person, they will go, they, they carry an iPad with them. I actually want to get them a GoPro because I think that that would make them, they would be right there on somebody's head to be able to participate. So I'm trying to figure out how to do that because some people have still not come out after COVID. And some people are also yeah. living uh, further away and but want to participate in groups and things like that. And yeah. my daughter does, She, I mean, I, I collaborate with other programs all over the community. So she's involved with many other programs too who provide her with things like she's an actress and she decides what and where she wants to go. and. She's been on a few TV shows and background actress, and and that's fun for her, but mm -hmm. it takes takes planning and preparation to how that works. And so she works with another program called the Miracle Project. Um, oh yeah, you know of them, yeah. And and yeah. then she works with another program that's called Beat the Odds, which is a social skills program that uh, does drumming, and it's really cool. And then a music therapy program that does a glee club. And so she, and then she has Hand in Hand, which is another social club that works with Pepperdine. And uh, so she's very, very busy. Very Beautiful. busy. <laughs> we may want to talk about her about all that, all of that on one of these. I, may, I, I missed that. I said we may want to talk to her about that. We may want to. Absolutely. She'd love that. Yeah, that would be great. Thank you. Um, Sean, we're at that, at that magical mark for your, for your magic question. I like to We sure are. 
magical. Well, as always, it, it go it goes by so fast, and so fast. you know, um, everything special needs um, um, uh, medical, com- you know, complexities, whatever the the, the the term that anybody wants to use, just happens to be the path by which we, you know, use to try and you know uplift people and look to um, be examples of inclusion, and so. Um, that's the reason why the show was even started. And so we, we always say that, you know, our ability to change the world um, is based in some way, in, you know, on our willingness or ability to change ourselves. So with that said, can you give us just one example of a thought or a belief that you once felt really strongly about, but no longer believed to be true? Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I had started out with one thought and I'm going off in a completely different direction now after our conversation. Good. But, it happens, it happens. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But I would say that, you know, from the beginning of my career, um, I thought that, um, and Christina's birth and then, you know, raising my children and everything else, I, I thought that, you know, if you do everything right, everything will fall into place. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't. Um, I've had to do a lot of, for lack of a better word, um, it's advocating, but I've had to fight some really heavy duty battles, not just for my daughter, but for many of our clients. I consider myself, um, I never wanted to be the rough, you know, fighting kind of person that's just not my, wasn't my style. I also would never have done something like this because I would I was scared to death to speak to anybody in public or anything like that. I failed speech class in college. Um, so, you know, the idea that I really, I found my passion and I also decided that if you're gonna do something, you gotta do it 100%. So when I see families that need support, I'm going to go the whole nine yards for them. I'm going to support them in any way that I possibly can. And the families that I work with know that. They know that, you know, I'm not on a nine to five schedule. They know they can get me when they need to get me. Um, I think the old way of thinking was, you know, you have, and I, and there's companies and agencies, everybody, you know, there's people that believe that if you work your nine to five, you go home and you don't think about things after that. That's not my life. My life is, and it's actually my company step-by-step Step, is probably my fourth child. Um, and pro- and sometimes my kids have said, you know, you, you give them more attention than you give us. Um, but, you know, that's, you know, I, I love all my children the same. <laughs> Differently. Well, it's, the diff- it's the difference between a J-O-B and starting, you know, uh, you know, um, tying your income to uh, purpose or passion-based business and that, that's yeah. completely different yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that's, well, that's really my my emphasis i think yeah i hope that well, answers your question it comes out just so you know it does you, exude, you, you exude this and um, <laughs> as a as a as a parent you know in this community i'm i'm thrilled to know that again folks like you exist but that your program exists your dedication your commitment and and as john started you know as entrepreneurs sometimes you know people question the mental um uh your mental state (laughs) of an entrepreneur because you know you're constantly in this mode of doing this and i would say you know similarly like you you look at every situation and it's a challenge and you're like oh yeah sure we'll live in a trailer that has no you know with the child the burden down now so we're gonna 
rebuild and join a school that has no, you know, is only, I mean, <laughs> you just, you, 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 you just you have are, to power through. Yeah. I have to power through. My daughter Jordan is on and she, she's, uh, she often is, she often comments and, and, uh, she is a great story of success. And, uh, she is a queen of perseverance. Uh, she has overcome a lot of adversity, a lot of, a lot of the, you'll never. Yeah. State. And, um, and I love that. Uh, it sounds like <laughs> Christy yeah. has overcome a lot of stuff as well. And as a parent of, you know, we're always proud of, and I know that Elijah has done that and makes Sean very proud, uh, to see the advancement that children make. And, and yes, uh, and absolutely. Because of programs like yours, Shelly, that our, our, our kiddos have a chance to, you know, to learn, to understand where that foundation sets them on a path to yeah. success. Thank you. Well, thank you. This is really awesome. fun. <laughs> it's been great. I know it goes by fast, doesn't it? It goes so by really fast. <laughs> so as we, as we it wrap always up, does. I'll, I'll, thank, I'll thank everybody again for listening in and for those that have commented. And Devin Perkins, who introduced us to Shelly, was on for a little bit. I don't know if Devin's still on, but he commented and said hello. And thank you, Devin, for introducing us to Shelly. It was actually an amazing conversation. And for all those who have other folks like Shelly who are doing things in the community, please let us know. Let's get them on and hear their story. Um, for those listening on uh, on podcast outlets, you know, again, hopefully you'll send us something, send us a note, let us know if we've hit a, hit a nerve. Or if you want to find out more about step-by-step edutherapy, um, we're going to have that up on the up on the page, up on the comments, and we're going to have our own website um, uh, that will be posting this and any other programs that Shelly has available. But reach out to Shelly and reach out to us. We are just two dads at gmail.com. Thank you for WSTXAM listeners. Um, again, thank you, Sean Hall, for putting all this together, and Billy Footwear, who I love the fact that you're that you guys use use Billy, Billy Footwear. It's just again another. Validation. Billy Footwear is an amazing company. We're proud to be in business with Billy. Um, and on that, I always say I end the show with the idea that, um, you know, empathy and love is always important, even more so now it appears. It feels like people need to be more emp empathetic and less judgmental. If you don't understand somebody's situation, ask. Don't, you know, you never know what somebody else is going through. And if you look at the world through the lens of love, the world's such a better place. So, so those two things are always important. And Shelly, you, you, you express those um, in the work that you do and the passion you speak about your children and you speak about your program. And so I'm honored and, and, and grateful to have had you on this program and hopefully that we get to do something with you in the, in the future as well. So thank you for being here. This is great. And I'm going to throw it to Sean to close this out, but Shelly, it was awesome. John Again, Shelly, thank you so very much. Thank you for everyone that, that took the time to tune in, whether you're doing so live or after the fact. Uh, again, the link for uh, the discount that you get on Billy Footwear, it will be in the show notes and it is now on, on the screen as well. And in addition, we want to let everyone know that um, Brian and I have had conversations about um, starting a, a men's group um, for parents, uh, for fathers or caregivers of those with uh, special needs. And, you know, we've talked about it, we've gone back and forth, and we want to make sure that value is added to people's time, everybody's time. And so what we've decided to do is open a registration for that group. Uh, we will be meeting once per month uh, virtually, so you're not limited to any kind of location. Um, we do not have a date for the first meeting just yet, but it'll take place uh, sometime in March, more than likely. You know, society doesn't exactly uh, encourage us to um, as men to be open about our fears, hopes, um, insecurities, or anything like that. When you add a special needs component, um, 
a lot of us are even more reserved about what it is that we really feel. So we want to create a safe environment to do that. But um, I want to thank everyone for taking the time. And remember, questions are more powerful than statements. Um, be more childlike, less childish. Everyone needs to be seen, heard, and know that they matter. And wherever you are within the sound of my voice, thank you for tuning in and we love you. We love you. Thank you.